Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Well, welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. I'm delighted that you've joined me. I'm recording this on Veterans Day in 2019. And that day, this holiday, this day of remembrance and celebration and honor uh, gives me my theme for this podcast. As you probably know, if you've been with me for a while, I am the son of a U.S. Army officer. My father was a colonel in the U.S. Army, fought in Vietnam, served in Iran, uh, served in Korea, uh, not the Korean War, but later. Uh, was honored, uh, a, a real war hero. Uh, I was thrilled to grow up in an officer's home, in a, in a soldier's home, and it afforded me tremendous opportunities and tremendous perspective. And because my father was a higher-ranking officer, his retirement was lush. He did he did well. He worked in real estate afterwards and, and had a good life and had, had no bitterness about the Army or about uh, uh, anything that, uh, that he did. He was, he was grateful for his career, and he had an honored and a noble career. But on this Veterans Day, uh, I am keenly aware that Americans are losing their connection to the military. Now, that's normal. It's actually a good thing in a sense. It's or at least the processes that are producing it are a good thing. Uh, the fact is that back during just after World War II, almost every family had somebody who served in the military. Almost everyone had sent a loved one abroad. Um, or had relatives who were who were abroad who were in the military because we had this big national mobilization. And then there was the Korean War, and then not long afterwards there was Vietnam, and we had a draft, uh, which meant that people were conscripted to go to war, not just uh, you know volunteering. And so the good side of that was you had a culture, uh, you had a nation that was connected to the military. We knew the stories, we knew the sacrifices, we honored them. Uh, we had parades when they came home. We knew who they were. We knew what they had had to endure. We knew what their families at home had had to endure. Everybody got letters from the front. Uh, everybody had a picture of their soldier in their home. Uh, you understand what I'm saying. The country was connected to it. And you can even see this in the movies. You can see it in the TV shows. You go back and look at the TV shows in the 19, late 1940s, 1950s. They were often about vets. They were often about humorous things about the army. Uh, you know, there were movies like McHale's Navy and all World War II kind of era things, but with humor. Now we had won. Now we were relaxed. Now we could kind of laugh about what happened uh, in the barracks. Uh, even later, we had TV shows like Gomer Pyle, still about you know humorous things happening in the military. We have less of that now, and that's fine. You don't want a society to be completely ramped up militarily all the time. But as a result, we are distancing ourselves and lessening our care for veterans. So while on the one hand, we should be grateful for peace and we should be grateful for a society that doesn't have to be tensed up all the time militarily, the fact is that we are distancing ourselves from the needs of veterans. For example, as I say, I'm recording this on Veterans Day 2019, and the statistics show that it may be the least observed um, 
holiday of all the all the federal holidays in the year. In other words, it's optional. Employers don't have to give it off. Federal facilities do, for example. Um, but if I own a company, it's optional as to whether I give my employees that day off. It's optional as to whether Walmart closes on that day. Of course it doesn't. Or gives anybody off that day. So this is the least uh, observed holiday in the year. Okay, that's fine. But this day was set aside for us to honor the veterans and remember their issues, remember the causes. Uh, You probably also know uh, that about 20, this is a round number now, some people say it's a little higher, some people say it's a little less, but about 20 veterans commit suicide every day. I want you to think about that number, every single day, because they have all kinds of problems. They have financial challenges. They have health challenges. They are, uh, in some cases, in extreme cases of mental duress, they are unemployable um, and the veteran services aren't quite there. We know that we've had corruption in our veterans care programs. We know that the veterans hospitals have sometimes put people on waiting lists when they had, even when they had serious health problems for years not years, but a year, I think, was the average at one, one facility. And there's been corruption and there's been misdealing. Now, I, I come to this again as a guy who grew up in the military. I come to this as a guy who is also a historian uh, and reads a lot of military history. I come to, the, to this uh, as a guy who, for the most part, honors those I, I know in the military. I know some who, you know, go into it to, to just for the benefits, and, and even that's fine. They still have to serve, and they're still doing something honorable, whatever their motive. Um, but but I, I, some of the finest people I know have served in uniform. Some of the noblest people I know, some of the greatest sacrifices, some of the some of the most heroic deeds, some of the most gallant things I've ever heard of have been done by people in uniform. And I'm going to tell you something honestly. We are very likely to return as a society to military challenge worldwide. We're very likely to return almost to a World War II uh, level of engagement military. Not quite, but almost. Let me tell you why. Uh, and I, this is not the main point of my podcast, but I, but I want to make sure that you have some sense of, of why I'm so passionate about this. And it's not just that I'm a military brat. Uh, the fact is uh, that we are seeing a realignment in the world, a realignment of forces, a realignment of influences and power centers. And America, in the midst of all of that, foolishly, I believe, as I have said in previous podcasts, is signaling its intention to withdraw from the battlefield. The recent one that you've heard from me about a great deal uh, is Mr. Trump's decision to pull Americans, I think as few as 500 troops, uh, from northern Syria, where we were basically keeping the Turks within their borders and protecting the Kurds and and, and assuring, because of our amazing military might, uh, a certain degree of peace and uh, protection there. Almost overnight and almost unilaterally, Mr. Trump pulled those troops. And now uh, you've got death. You've got children burned by phosphorus. You've got the Turks engaged in ethnic cleansing in northern Syria. You've got the Syrian Kurds aligning with Bashar al-Assad, who is a a bloody tyrant, but they had to run to somebody. Um, You've got 2,000 refugees a day pouring into the KRG, the Kurdish regional government, which is basically the northern part of Iraq where the Kurds prevail there. The Kurds, you know, govern the northern part of Iraq in an area called the KRG. Um, 
And we're seeing that new players or old players play new games in certain parts of the world. There's no question that the vacuum that we've left in the Middle East, uh, Iran and Russia are moving in to uh, fill. There's no question that China is very much on the move in the world and they will challenge us in markets. They will challenge us technologically. They will challenge us in terms of hegemony and uh, domination in international affairs. And they may very well challenge us militarily. And by the way, this is a country that has over a billion people in it and a massive and well-financed, well-equipped army, well-trained army. So we are likely to have to return as a society to military law. If we think that we're pulling in, if we think that we're doing a neo-isolationism, if we think that Mr. Trump is you know, bringing the troops home and not having endless wars, let me say it clearly, it's going to irritate some of you. Endless wars, which really are police actions, which really are safeguarding actions, are essential to maintaining peace in the world. You have to be vigilant. You have to man the walls. You have to man the ramparts. You have to be there. In my teenage years, I grew up in Berlin, Germany. Uh, I was there for three or four years, and we had had another assignment earlier in my life in Germany, but we were in Berlin. Well, there weren't that many American troops in Berlin, but combined with our French and German and British allies, um, we stood stood ground. And uh, the military at that time stood against uh, the Russians, stood against East Germany, maintained what was called an outpost of freedom. Uh, even will, fought off the Badermeinhof gang and other forms of terrorism. I think I've told in previous podcasts the stories about uh, sometimes every single week there was a bomb threat at our American high school in Berlin, Germany. It was either the Badermeinhof gang or some idiot just misbehaving or something more serious. But we literally had helicopters landing on our football field. We had the MPs, the military police show up. We had dogs running through the building. We would sit out of the bleachers and wait for them to, you know, check our building for bombs so we could go back in and go to school. This happened all the time. And why am I telling that? Because I'm some hero? Of course not. I was just a school kid playing football and going on dates. But the point was that this having troops there uh, was a hedge against evil. It was a barrier against evil. It's what you have to do when you're a superpower. It's what you have to do when you want to see peace in the world. And if we think in the Trumpian era that we can simply withdraw into our borders and make America great again, which, by the way, only a fool's not in favor of, in the general sense, making America great. Uh, You know, we always want our country to be great. That's not even a question. Um, And I'm, I'm not... I'm not wearing the MAGA hat when I'm saying that. I'm just saying I've always been an American patriot. Love my country, want it to be great, absolutely no question. But part of that greatness is recognizing that we're a superpower and having a presence where we are needed around the world. It's just essential. And so in the next generation, there's no question, we're going to have to stand against China, a communist nation, um, with with great evil uh, intent in some ways, um, and certainly an intent at global domination. Uh, We're going to stand against radical, violent Islam. Now, I'm speaking as a guy who some of my dearest friends are Muslims. (laughs) But still, I'm saying radical Islam, violent Islam, extremist Islam, no question, an evil in the world. No question, an evil in the world. And my Muslim friends would tell you that straight up. We're going to have to take a stand uh, against Russia. Uh, we We can have peace with them. We can have harmony with them. Uh, but not if we conduct ourselves as we're conducting ourselves now. So we are creating vacuums around the world. Now, let me return to my main point. 
My main point is that this is going to mean if we're going to have national survival, this is going to mean that we're going to have to be a presence in the world. We're going to have have to have good West weapon systems. We're going to have to have more than just a volunteer reserve army uh, we're, or military. We're going to have to have people who are well trained. We may have to get rid of this ridiculous reserve system in the army where if you join and serve for 20 years, you're still in the reserves. All, all the, the system's got to be reformed. The Pentagon's got to get on it. And we are going to have to be present. We're, we may, I, I, don't, I won't be that surprised if we see a restoration of the draft uh, in, within a generation. I won't be that surprised. I think national survival may depend on it. And there are constitutional bases for a draft, um, and fighting just a silly foreign war is not one of them. But repelling invasion, enforcing the laws of the Union, uh, repelling insurrection, these are uh, a legitimate, legitimate constitutional bases for the restoration of a draft, and we may see it in our generation or, or soon after. Now, the reason I'm saying all of this is that we don't want to have some ridiculous idolatry of the military-industrial complex. Of course not. That's the kind of criticism that arises from, from people on college campuses that I think is a bit undue. And, and I will say also uh, that, that we, we have, the U.S. has definitely fought wars they should not have fought. Definitely deposed leaders internationally we have not deposed. Definitely intervened in the business and economic systems of foreign countries. Uh, definitely uh, intervened in the elections of foreign countries. And we should not have. We've also assassinated leaders. We should not have. So not, I'm not saying everything we've ever done is right. I'm simply saying that for a nation to survive and exist in the world, a nation especially as powerful and uh, uh, productive and prosperous as we are, we're going to have to take our responsibilities. I'll tell you honestly, uh, the parallel is very simple for me. I'm 6'4", about 270 pounds. If I'm in the room and somebody's doing evil, somebody's picking on a small man or a small woman or, or picking on people, or an elderly or somebody, just by virtue of the fact that I'm there and have some strength and size, I have an obligation to do something. I may not be the strongest man in the room, the youngest, the most athletic, but just by virtue of the fact that I have some heft, that I can back an evildoer off, that I can protect an elderly person, that I can protect a weaker person, a handicapped person, a smaller man, whoever I can help. They can't take, if they can't do it themselves, I will step in. I've made that commitment in my life. Why? Just simply because I'm larger than most people. That's all. I don't think I'm special. I don't think I'm Superman. Uh, I don't come with a cape. Uh, I just believe that I have an obligation by virtue of my ability to perhaps do some good in that situation. Okay, what does this have to do with veterans? Well, we are a large person on the global stage, and we have an obligation to do good, and we have done a lot of good in history, and we should continue to do good. Now, that doesn't mean picking fights, doesn't mean we have troops in harm's way with an unclear mission and, and trying to turn the U.S. Army into a police force. Uh, it doesn't mean we should be about nation building. That's kind of an arrogant thing that came out of the neocon movement. I think many of them have repented of that now, thought, re rethought it. But we must have in our society an honor for those who serve. That means we have to have a sharp, well-run, lean, clean military machine. That means that we have to have clear mission and just, righteous justification for whatever we do overseas, but also have the power to, to withstand evildoers. And it means that we have to take care of the veteran. This has been part of our national lore since Lincoln gave his second inaugural address to care for him who has borne the burden of battle. And we have to do that. We should, it's not just about one day a year where we honor the veterans, although I strongly recommend we make more of it. I urge all of you listening to do that. 
But I also think we need to be aware that the downward trend of care for veterans works against the willingness of people to serve in uniform. If I'm likely to be wounded in battle or I'm likely to take low pay and a lot of hard work and a lot of danger, but when I get out, um, the nation's not going to fulfill its contract with me, well, then I'm not so sure I want to serve, perhaps. Uh, I'm not so sure I want to put myself in that situation. I'm not so sure I want to lose my legs and then not be cared for by my nation. I'm not so sure I want to wait for a year to be able to get medical care or get the medication that I need or have my prices jacked up. I'm not so sure I want to be on the streets and bedeviled with mental illness and, and, uh, and post-traumatic stress syndrome and uh, facing the temptation of suicide every day and mired in addiction. Now, that's not all vets, of course, but it's a lot of them. And so what I'm calling us to do as a nation, what I'm saying to those of you who are listening, and again, thank you, those of you who are congressmen, senators, work in veterans affairs, work in other parts of the military who listen to this podcast. Let's fight the good fight. Let's make noise. Let's let's agitate. Let's lobby. Let's contend. Let's not be satisfied with this. I'm not saying we're going to be a militarist nation in the future, but I think we are absolutely going to be more militarily engaged than we are right now. And though I am right of center in my politics, and I'm grateful for some things this administration is doing, as I've said many times, I think the Trumpian, let's pull everybody home and not engage in endless wars and just just focus on our own borders, is, is frankly naive and ridiculous. It doesn't work that way in a global society. I don't want to do nation building, and I don't want to think in terms of being a globalist power, but I do want to use the power that we have to withstand evil and assure as much as possible justice and freedom in the world. That's what we're here to do in addition to taking care of those within our own borders. And a lot of that is centered on taking care of the veteran. So at a practical level, at a street level, honor the veterans in your life. Thank them for their service. Uh, Contribute to organizations that honor the veterans and take care of them. Uh, Hire veterans. Focus on veterans affairs in your political activity. Um, And let's not have a militarist nation. Let's not be a completely military society. We don't want to be Rome uh, in some neo way. But we do want to be a nation that understands its power, uses it justly, cares for the warrior, and has a strong presence in the world that's just all while increasing justice and freedom at home. We can do this, and we can do it well. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include the Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.